Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Woohoo! It's excited to worship the Lord and receive the Word of God. And we can all please stand. We want to thank you all so much for joining us this morning here at MPI Church. We love you all and appreciate your presence in the house of God. I'm Pastor Berto, one of the pastors here on staff. We like to start out every morning with a testimony. Let's give it up for Carmen as she comes up and testifies. Metro Praise, and I just wanted to testify about um, just how God has been using me at work and stuff, and um, Pastor Joe preached last week about discipleship and stuff, and God has really been using me at my job. They know that I'm a Christian. They know that we <clears throat> lead Elevate on Fridays and youth group, and they see the pictures and everything, and um, we had a time uh, last week or so for 
Um, it was called Mingle and Tingle. So we met with some, you know, one of the other administrative people in my office, and we were supposed to tell them something they didn't know about ourselves, and then they were supposed to tell us something um, that they admired about us. So the girl that I was paired up with was just saying how she admired my dedication to God, my dedication to church and everything, and it's been so amazing because they see me, then they know that I serve God, and they know that I love God, and even this past week, like, one of my coworkers texted me, and she's like, you know, I really need prayer right now. So being able to be used at work has been such a blessing for me. Um, not only do they see it on Facebook, they, they see it in real life. They see me at work. They know. They even watch what they say around me because they're like, okay, we got to watch how we talk around her because we know she loves Jesus. So it's just been a testimony that um, I'm just living, living my life and how I live at home and how I live at work just testifies to them and encourages them to want prayer, to watch how things, you know, watch how they are around me and to even say things like, I admire um, your life and your dedication to the Lord. So it's just a blessing. And I just want to encourage you, you know, be who God has called you to be everywhere, at the workplace, at the at when you're going shopping, when you're sitting in traffic, and people are going to notice that. They're going to notice that there's something different about you, and they're going to want to know what that is, and they're, they're going to want to know, um, you know, they're going to want the prayer, they're going to want the things that uh, make you a child of God. They're going to want those things, and they're going to admire you for those things. So my verse today is Matthew 5.16. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for um, the changes that you have made in me, Heavenly Father. I pray that as we move forward, Lord God, that people would see who you are, Lord God, that they, they would see you through us, Lord God, that they would not see us for who we are, Lord God, but they would see Jesus in us, Lord God, and that we would be living testimonies wherever we go, Lord God, and that people would want to know what makes us happy, what brings us joy, why are we so excited about these things, and that they would want to know more about you, Heavenly Father. I praise you and thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that this word, Lord, today would go forward, Lord God, and touch lives and change lives. In Jesus' name.
Jesus shines like the sun in all of his brilliance. A king of glory, a king above all. Shout it out. This is amazing grace. This is a very Amen. I want to share a testimony this morning in an attitude of worship. Amen. Um, 
As I'm preparing these lists every week, you know, coming before, just prayerfully, just seeking the Lord. God, what are we going to sing? Amen. What am I going to sing with my brothers and sisters in this first song? He was talking about an amazing grace, talking about Jesus and who he is. All right. And I just thought about worship and what it is. And in the Bible, there's a whole entire book right in the middle called Psalms. Right. And it's filled with songs, it's filled with prayers of people who have reached out to God through good times and bad times. And I have this testimony, well, it's Salvador's and I's testimony about a couple years back um, when him and his wife were, were having a child. They had a child uh, born premature. His name was Hezekiah. And um, Hezekiah didn't make it. He went on to be with the Lord. And I remember that that week that Salvador and Jessica had come back to the church, we got together as we always do as a church. We meet in the morning and we pray and we dedicate that time to just prepare our hearts and minds and just worship God and lift our voice for prayer. And we did that back then. This was back at the old building in Irving Park. And I remember it was me, Salvador, and one other person. We were all partnered up and praying. And I remember deep in my heart, I was like, man, God, he just went through one of the most toughest things in his life. God, give me a word. I, I mean, I want a word for him. And so I was praying. I was speaking in tongues. I was listening because I wanted to encourage him. And all I heard the Holy Spirit tell me was just tell him he needs to worship. And I just thought to myself, man, that's not like a two-minute word, God. That's not, a lot of, that's not a lot of going on in just that one little word. And I was praying. I'm like, God, is that it? Is that it? Is that it? It's like tell him this is going to be his season of worship. He needs to worship through it. So I was like, all right, cool. And so I remember, I was like, Salvador, I have a word for you, brother. And God says you're going to have to go through a season of worship. And he just wants you to worship. And I'm praying for him. And he received it. And I was hoping for, like, for him to get on his knees and fall and cry in tears. And just everybody's pray over him. And that didn't happen. But I remember several months later, he testifies that, man, God had a word for me. It was my season of worship. And if you want to ask him right now, God brought him through that that time of pain, that time of trial because of his worship. So I want to challenge us this morning as we're here gathered for this very reason to worship God. I want us with all eyes closed and hearts open and hands lifted up to just sing your own words right now before we sing this next song to praise God. Come on, this is not a library church. Come on, did you know you're actually encouraging your neighbor Come on, to press in. This morning, we're lifting up our voice to press in. Jesus, we worship. Oh, let our praise ever be on our lips. To praise ever be on our lips. Lord, we worship. We worship. We lift the song to you, Lord.
covenant of old, and your love is in glory through the winter and beyond the horizon. Mercy for today, faithful you have been, faithful you will be. Yourself to me, and it's why I sing your praise. Will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will. Ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise is me, Lord. Your praise is me, Lord. You Father, you Father, the orphan. Your kindness makes us whole. You sold our weakness, and your strength becomes our own. And you're making me like you. You're clothing me in white, bringing beauty from ashes. And you will have your bride, free from all her guilt, rid of all her shame.
Come on, he's pressing on hearts this morning. Was but we 
you welcome us to, that you beckon us to, dear God, and you meet us there. We thank you that all shame is broken at the feet of the cross. We thank you that all condemnation is gone at the feet of the cross. We thank you that we find mercy and grace at the feet of the cross. Jesus Christ, you made a way, and you are able to set your children free. Hallelujah. Come on. God is just speaking this morning that if you're in this room and you are dealing with sin and you're thinking it's way too much and I can't do this anymore, I can't lift up my hands in freedom like some people in this room, I can't walk out of here, change and transform. God says this morning that that is a lie, that you are deceived, and he has come to set you free this morning. As we sing this song one more time, I want you to know that God is able to set you free from sexual perversion. God is able to set you free from
from fears and worries. God is able to set you free from depression and anxiety. God is able to take you from hopelessness and give you hope in him. God is able to take you from wickedness and that feeling of being dirty and make you clean. See, the sin will keep you down. The sin will keep you from the life that God has for you. But he's a good savior. He has come to rescue you. He has come to set the captive free, amen? So won't you lift up your hands with me this morning one more time and let's sing this song. Oh, let faith arise, let faith arise, let faith arise. Like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Somebody say sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Amen? Who wants to be wise? Who wants to be a fool? No, we don't. But you know what? It is proved by our actions. Is that not right? We want to be wise people. We have to establish our life upon the rock, Jesus Christ. Him as our foundation and everything that we do. First, as we come to Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, he impacts every area of our life. He, he doesn't leave any area untouched. From your family, from raising your children, from your character, your integrity, your career, your dreams, your goals, God is in it all. Amen? But a person who says, I'm going to do this on my own. I know my way is better than God's ways. And I don't have to follow his teachings. And I don't have to submit under an almighty God. That person, my friend, is a fool. And the Bible says that if you want to succeed and you want to overcome the storms of life, you have to do it with Jesus Christ and him alone. You see, we all go through storms in life. Christian and an unbeliever, we both go through storms. But it's who you're going to go through it with. Amen? And as born-again believers, we've decided to go through life with him. And he sustains us. And he's our covering, my friend. And you may be in this church and coming in and out. And you're living a totally different life than what the word of God says. And I promise you, your life is unstable. If we were to get into your life, we would see that it's not what God has intended it to be. And I want you to know that the first thing that you have to do is surrender to God. There is a fight. There is a pride deep down inside of us that says, I don't want to surrender. But you allow humility, just an ounce of humility in your heart today. And you surrender your life to Jesus. He will come in and he'll transform you from the inside out. He'll give you that life. Amen. See, the devil comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus Christ came to give life, an abundance of life. Amen. And if he did it in me, he'll do it in you. Amen. Come on, raise your hand if you're a believer in this place. Say, I am wise. I am wise because of Jesus. So we're going to pray for those who don't know him this morning. Those watching live on Facebook who don't know him, our family members and friends, we want them to know there's life in Christ. Amen? So let's pray. Let's pray for our lost family members and friends and anybody in this room. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. Humbly. Because we know that the only reason we are wise, the only reason we have success in anything that we do is because you've saved us. You've taken us from that miry clay, dear God, and you've set our feet upon you, Christ Jesus, our rock. I pray in Jesus' name that those who, dear God, are living a foolish life this morning would surrender everything to you, would be born again, acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, and surrender everything. Let the lives in this room, dear God, live to glorify you. That when outsiders look at us, they would know there's something different about you, and I want to know what that is. Lord, that our lives will be a great testimony and bring you glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Please stand up to your feet with me. Come on, God is good. If that's you and you're saying, I want to surrender, I'm tired of doing it my way, we're going to have some prayer workers right up here at the front. And they're not here to save you, all right? 
They're here to walk you through prayer, to guide you and get you connected into discipleship. Amen? And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to recite our confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. This is what Macho Praise stands on. And so we're going to recite this together. Come on with some umph. I want to hear some excitement in your voice and declare this with some power. Amen? On the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible, which reveals God's purpose and his plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Take some time, greet your neighbor, meet somebody new. If you need prayer, our prayer workers are right up here for you.
All right, who's excited to be at Metro Praise today? Welcome everybody to MPI. We're so thankful that you're here on behalf of all the leaders. We want to keep on inviting you to come on back, especially if it's your first time here. Thank you for joining us. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. So we have children's ministry in the back called King's Kids for your children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. for students 11 to 18 years old. So if you're in that age group, you want to be here on Friday nights. We have the best youth leaders. God is really moving and it's just an awesome place for you guys to be to get closer to God. We have an announcement for you guys. We have the West Side Back to School Outreach next Saturday. Oh, I like that response. Some people are getting excited. So we, so we want all hands on deck. As many of you that could come on out, it will be such a blessing to the West Side. We actually go there every Wednesday and bring in the children to be here with us for our Royal Rangers and Impact. So we're actually going to go into their neighborhood and we're going to have free food, music, activities, and raffles. We're going to be giving out school supplies for 100 students and also two laptops. So it's going to be Saturday, August 6th at 9 a.m. Meet here at the church, and then we'll head out there together. So we're really excited to see who's going to come out and joy, join us to really be a blessing to this neighborhood. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Somebody say vision. Our vision is loving God and loving people. And our strategy is connect mentor and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with how many churches? 50 churches in the city and 500 around the world. So look to your neighbor and say, it's time to get connected. Here's a snapshot of our life groups for this week. How many of you guys going to life groups this week? Wave your hand in the air. Look to your neighbor who's now waving their hand. Say, you're coming with me. You can turn your hand out around and see the schedule we have for this quarter, July, August, and September. We really want to encourage you guys, get connected. Find a life group for you and your family to get connected to, whether it's every week or once a month. It will bless your life. So the kicking it off today is our single mamas. Child care is provided. They're meeting at 5.30 today. Tuesday, the Resistance Youth Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. here at the church. Wednesday, King's Kids, every week, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Thursday is our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. meet at their church, powerful time of ministry. Every Friday, two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivid's house. Both meet at 7 p.m. you got to be 18 years or older, meeting at those addresses. Awesome time for you guys to get refreshed from your week of work and family and all that. Get a time of fellowship. Get connected with other believers in Christ. Amen. And Saturday, the Ambassadors Youth Life Group. Come on. 11 to 18 years old, 1 p.m. at that address. So we're just really excited about all that God is doing in the life groups. And you guys make it happen. The leaders make it happen. So keep, I want to encourage you, invite your friends, okay? Don't go alone to a life group. Bring a vis first-time visitor, whether it's your neighbor, somebody you just met at the grocery store. Be proactive about, about bringing people with you and saying, hey, come with me to this. Because maybe they'll go to a life group with you first before they even ever visit a Sunday service. Even though we want them to come to both, but maybe the life group will be a little bit more easier for them. So always keep in mind to bring somebody with you, all right? Now we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We have a 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. This is done one-on-one -on -one with leaders in the church who really want to 
pour into you and see you be all that God has called you to be. And when you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we train you to be a leader in the church and really discover the call of God in your life to be a deacon or an elder one day in, in the house of God because we believe that every believer should be a leader. So it's not just about us four and no more, just about our little family and coming on Sundays. No, we want you guys to go out. We want you to be all that God has called you to be, to be a leader and transform the city that you live in. Amen? Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. We want you guys to go out and evangelize, street witness. If you've never done it, join them here on Saturdays from 5 to 8. We pick different neighborhoods, different outreaches to go to different events, preaching the gospel. If you've never done it, I want to encourage you, make it a habit in your life. And get practice. It takes practice. Practice makes perfect. Look to your neighbor and say, practice makes perfect. If you've never done it, then you'll always have the excuse that you don't know how to do it. Well, you don't know how to do it because you're not doing it, okay? So you have to go out there and get practice, and I promise you, you will be so amazed of how God uses you to preach the gospel to other people, to give them the good news of the gospel, and you will see lives changed and transformed. And the ones that reject it, then you'll, your heart will be softened to always pray for the lost in our city. So if you don't have a heart and you're saying, well, I don't really pray for the lost so much, it's because you're not evangelizing. If you get out there and you preach the gospel and you see people reject it after rejection after rejection, your heart will break for the lost in our city. So how many soul winners do I have in the house? Come on, he who wins souls is wise. So we want you guys to get out there and go evangelizing. So in recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision to love God and love people. A strategy of connect, mentor, and send. And a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Let's give the Lord a praise. Come on, hallelujah. Are you guys ready to give your tithes and offerings today? This is an extension of our worship to the Lord. We believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income given to the church regularly. And an offering is an amount above the tithe that comes after the tithe. That amount is between you and the Lord. And we designate that towards missions. We give towards mi various mission projects throughout the year. And our current building fund is the soul winning summer building fund. We want to thank you guys for your generosity. Thank you for being faithful to that. We are going to see a harvest of souls this season. Amen. So let's get into our giving lesson today from the Disciples Giving book. We're on section three, which is all about stewardship. And today is also lesson three. Stewards work hard at whatever they do. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. We're going to be reading from Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So who are we serving? The Lord Jesus Christ. We are serving Jesus. We're not serving man. And that's why everything that we do has to be to glorify him. And here are the three main points. Number one, whatever you do, say whatever. Stewards of Christ are not just hard workers in spiritual things, but in whatever they do. We should work overtime with our families, our jobs, our community, friends, and church. People around us should say we are the hardest working and most passionate people they know. 
That is a testimony that we should have on our job. That is a testimony that we should have when we're picking up our children from school. Just like how Carmen testified today, let that be the mark of all of our lives, that we're the hardest workers, we're the most sacrificing, we're the most giving, we're the most passionate, amen? Number two, working hard for the Lord. And everything we do, we should ask the question, is God pleased with my work? Ultimately, God is our judge, and he rewards us when we do things with all of our heart, so no shortcuts or compromises. You can't take shortcuts on your job and expect to get a pay raise. You can't compromise on your job and expect not to get fired. It's the same thing when we're doing things for God. When you want God's blessings, when you want his goodness and his favor to follow your life, you need to work hard. Amen? And number three, receiving an inheritance. Your job might be able to help you with your retirement savings account when you work hard. But only God can give you an everlasting inheritance in his eternal kingdom. So don't just focus on today's benefits of hard work, but on God's rewards. We're storing up treasures in heaven. So all that we do is not only impacting our life here on earth, but it's impacting eternity. And that is so powerful. Here's a summary. Serve Christ by working hard with all your heart in all you do. And that will bring glory to the Lord. Let's apply this in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, work hard and be passionate about the things you do in life. And three, if you should stumble, be quick to repent and return to the work ethic of heaven. Isn't that good? Work ethic of heaven. Yes. So if that makes you excited, let's confess this together on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Let's stand up to our feet and prepare our tithes and offerings for the Lord. On the envelope, you'll see the different sections, tithe, building missions. Put the amount that you want allocated towards each area. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes in the back. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Griselda if you would like to do that today. And number four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4:19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've entrusted us to be stewards, God, of your finances on this earth, of all the good that you have given to us. And we want to be faithful. We want to work hard in whatever we do. We want to be the most passionate, the most faithful, the most trustworthy, living and working in integrity, oh God, to bring you glory on this earth. So I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. I pray that as we continue to be faithful in our tithes, faithful in our offerings, that we would see your fruition come into our lives, that we would see your goodness and your faithfulness, and that you would pour out a blessing upon us that we wouldn't have room to receive. We trust in you, Jesus. We trust you with our finances and every other area of our lives. So I pray that you would bring an increase, God, over Metro Praise and the people here, God, so that we could reach Chicago and the nations for you with the gospel. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And please come forward as you give. And we thank you so much for your generosity.
All right. How many are ready to love Jesus? Make some noise. Come on. How many are ready to live like Jesus? Make some noise. Amen. I want you to pull out your phones. Welcome to Metro Praise International. We're going to use our phones for Jesus. You ready to do that? I want you to go to your Facebook. I want you to go to Metro Praise International. We did this last week. I want to do it again this week. We are now doing live on Facebook. Last week, we had 1,000 views of our Facebook Live video within 24 hours. Right now, we're over 400. Right now, we're over 400. Isn't that amazing? We haven't even got to the best part. But anyways, I want you to go to Metro Praise International. I want you to see that awesome video there as these brothers adjust the camera. As I can see, I'm not in focus right now. Would you do me a favor and share this with your friends? Say, hey, join me live. Listen to this. Check this out. You need this. Come on, share it right now and let people subscribe to it. Or subscribe to this coming on every week. You know, this is something you can do to make a difference in your friends' and family's life. And, of course, if you're ever sick or not able to come, you can join us. I already see a bunch of people not able to come today. Their children were sick and so forth, and they're already on there. And so if you could share that, it will touch and change somebody's life. Can I hear an amen? I can't tell you all the testimonies that I hear from the ministry of multimedia. People say they found us online through our preaching videos, Facebook. The things that we do make a difference. And all you have to do is just share that. And then if you ever can't make it to church, now you know where we're at. Can I get an amen? Thank you so much for doing that. It makes, a, makes our job easier because we want to spread the message around the world. Also, just want to tell you how proud I am of everybody giving to the building fund. You are going to see those dollars in action this Saturday. I hope that you come out excited at 9 a.m. because you'll see what it's like when we go out and touch the community. There are so many things going on in our city right now, especially in the Black Lives Matter movement or the inner city, the violence, the police. But you know what? The Church of Jesus Christ can make a difference, not by just political protests and all of those things. We can make a difference by going out and loving people. How about that? How about we put our feet where our mouth have been, right? How about we do something about what everybody else is talking about? We're going to actually do the work of the ministry. We're going to love people. We're going to love people. We're going to give out two brand new laptops. I get to go out and buy those this week. And it's not like Joe was selling in Lotes and made the money to do that. I got that money because you guys gave. Amen? Because all of us gave together. I get to go to Target and Walmart, and I get to buy those two laptops and, ha and have the joy of watching those children receive them Saturday. That's your dollars in action. And then when we give all those school supplies, a hundred of them away, that's amazing. And that's just what God has called us to do. So I really just want to encourage you, come out there and join us because you'll see your dollars in action. We are in a sermon series called Spiritual Disciplines. It's about the spiritual exercises that we do as Christians. Today is Lesson 6, Discipleship in Christ-likeness. Last week we got into discipleship, so this is actually a part two-er. And now we're going to talk about Christ-likeness. Would you open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, good to see everybody here. How many are glad it cooled down a little bit? Dude, it was like a sauna last week, was it not? It was hot. It made New Orleans look like Alaska. I'll tell you what, I walked outside, I was like, <gasps> I can't breathe. It's so hot. It was weird. It was weird outside. I just thought to myself, I'm like, this is probably what like a turkey feels like on Thanksgiving because I felt like I was in an oven. Like I thought I was cooking, like somebody's going to start flipping me over, buttering me up. 
Lord have mercy. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, spiritual disciplines. Paul's talking. You've heard it a lot if you've been here. If you're new, this has been our passage for the whole uh, summer. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the, ru- the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. How many are getting excited about the Olympic Games? Anybody? A few of us, right? We want to see these Olympians run. And the idea is they're running to win, right? How many think they start the 100-yard dash going, I'm just a loser. I don't plan on winning. I'm just here to try my best. How many think they come there not with that attitude, but with the attitude, I'm going to win. I'm going to beat you, sucker. I'm going to be there, you know? Now, they may not get hood like that, but, you know, they come ready to win. They come ready to win. Who won the Crosstown Classic, Cubs versus Sox? Who got the most wins? Oh, it was actually a tie. Oh, my goodness. Was it three and three? Two and two. Okay, my goodness. But how many know when those guys showed up, both Cubs and Sox, they came to win? They didn't want to lose. They wanted to win. And see, the Bible says, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games, looking back towards those Olympiad games, but we can now look to the games of the Crosstown Classic or Super Bowl, whatever, NBA championship. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? They go into what? Strict training. Help me preach it today. They go into strict training, and that's where we get the idea of spiritual disciplines. That strict training is what's going to make you successful at what you do. How many here have ever graduated from a class and you had to go into strict training to graduate? You had to study. You had to work hard, right? How many of you have had to go into strict training to lose weight or get in shape? Anybody do that? Remember, I lost 60 pounds last year. How many have ever had to go into strict training, discipline to make and save money? You say, I got I to get up early, come home late, and I got to save it. I can't go to Starbucks every day and pay, spend $4 on a co- cafe mochi latte with whipped cream on top because I'm wasting money. I had to go into strict training to stop that stuff. Well, that's what the Bible's talking about. This is what athletes do. This is what Christians should do. They do it, these athletes do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last for how long? Forever. So what's our motivation? Eternity. That when we leave this life, that what we did for God here will really matter and count. And I love what one preacher said. He said, is what you're doing now going to last for eternity? Think about that. My, uh, uh, my doctoral work this week, which I just think is a God thing, I had to preach a sermon, was on the two builders. And Griselda just preached it again today. And I just want to tell you guys that that is so real. Jesus is telling us you can build the nicest home. You can make it look so beautiful. You can put million-dollar pieces of artwork in there. But if it's built on sand and those storms come, there goes your home. And you can build your life on all of these achievements and accolades and all these great things that you're proud of. But if you don't have Jesus, when life is over, it's gone. And so the Bible is telling us, you see people for the Olympic Games going to strict training just to get a crown that doesn't last. You should go into strict training for a crown that lasts forever. You see people on your job, they come early, stay late. They're giving it all they got just to make money and have a bigger house. That doesn't last forever, but your crown does. You should put that time into Jesus. You should be just as dedicated as the rich people are into saving and making money. You should put that into your spiritual life. Just as much as the athlete is into training and winning a game, you should put that into your spiritual life. Look at verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. How many of you have tried to pick up jogging this summer and it's not going so well? Has anybody? 
I used to jog and it didn't really go so well. And I would kind of find myself running aimlessly. Like I would set up, I mean, when I, when I would start jogging, like I would have like a, man, I would have a big goal. I'm going to run around my neighborhood three times and I'm going to run 10 miles a day. And literally, literally around the half a mile mark, it gets a little aimless. I'm like, let me just cut here. Uh, let me just cut here now. and Let me just cut back here. Oh, a mile. All right. Yeah. And, and you know what? I do the same thing on my bike right now, really. Like I say, you know, I'm going to ride my bike this long, and then I start getting bored, and I start cutting through stuff. And so the idea is we're not supposed to run through life aimlessly. We're supposed to set goals and achieve them. Have you set a goal for your family? You know, did you set goals for what do you want to achieve with your family? How about spiritual goals for your family? Did you set a goal that every day we're going to pray together? Even those of you in dating relationships. That's how Nancy and I dated. We dated like a Christian. We set goals to pray together every day. Have you set goals for your children? The type of things that you're going to make sure that you guard in their life, that you're going to help them pick the right friends, the right activities, right? Have you set goals for your job? Have you, have you set goals for your career? I'm getting my doctorate, and that's fresh on my mind because I was just in classes last week because I have a goal to be doctor disciple. I wanted that to be my title, and I've already, bought, I've already bought the website, by the way. So I'm like, I'm ready for this, Dr. Disciple. It's a blank website, but I think it's drdisciple.com because I want to be like a little podcast or radio show. Welcome to Dr. Disciple. This is Joe Wyrostek, your host today. I want to talk to you about discipleship. That's what I want to do. You, that's what I want to do. Now, I could just be like some pastors just call themselves doctor, and they got no more a doctorate than they're an astronaut, you know what I'm saying? But listen to me. I want to earn that doctorate so I can be doctor disciple. And guess what? I'll give it all away for free. You can come see me for free. I'll never charge you. Wouldn't you wish every doctor would do that? Amen. And now, do you have your goals? Because if we don't do it, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Think about that. If I aim at nothing, I'll hit it every time. If you really want to hit your goals in life, you've got to set them before your life, put them in writing, put them down, and your spiritual goals are the same way. Do you have a goal to finish your Bible, to read it all this year, or maybe to do something that you haven't done before, like coming out with us to uh, an outreach? Have you set these as goals? Otherwise, you're running spiritually aimlessly, and you're like a boxer just beating the air. You're not hitting the enemy. Verse 27, no, I'm not running aimlessly. No, I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I strike a blow to my what? My body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Where do attitudes start, in your body or somebody else's body? In your body. You need to make your attitude your slave. You just need to get sassy with your sass and say, you listen here, sassy pants. You ain't going to be sassy all the time. You're going to learn humility. You need to tell your quits, I quit. I quit on my quits. Have you ever quit your quits before? Come on, you need to say quit, I quit on you. You know what you need to do with your doubts? You need to doubt your doubt. Why well, I, I doubt I doubt if God's real. I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that, you know? I doubt if tithing works. I doubt that. <laughs> Hello? I doubt I should go to church today. I don't feel I doubt that. You see, don't wake up in the morning and wait for your body to tell you what to do. Wake up in the morning and you tell your body what to do. You tell your body what to do. Because I'll tell you what, you know, everybody, they get excited about me when they realize, you know, I lost 60 pounds. I, I go to these classes here, uh, even at Trinity, and they look at me like, man, you lost a lot of weight. And that's great, and I appreciate them, you know, encouraging me because we should encourage weight loss, especially with what we're going through in our culture. But I always want to keep it real with them. I go, well, all I had to do was become obese first. 
And that's the real sad truth, isn't it? And, and, it's, and it's a lot of us are like that today where we're, we're not understanding that a lot of the problems that we're in that really require a lot of strict discipline is because we haven't been disciplined. If we had been reading our Bible, maybe it wouldn't be so hard for you to start reading your Bible. If you had been praying more often, it maybe wouldn't have been so hard to start praying. But here's the encouragement. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And let me say this, applying just the physical to the spiritual, the hardest thing for me in losing weight was like that first 60 to 90 days setting that new example for my life, that new habit. And then after that, it became habitual to stay on track. And if you can give 30 to 60 days, 90 days to these things that you're learning here, they will become more normal to you than your quits. Your faith will become more of a foundation than your doubts. You will find yourself naturally being drawn towards the word. How many can relate to that? About, about half of you? Come on. I mean, is, are, you, are you relating to that? You get up in the morning, you're like, something's not right. Oh, I got to pray. I got to make some time with Jesus. Or you start on your way to work, and you're just listening to normal radio, and you're like, Man, something about this just doesn't motivate me today. Oh, man, we put on worship. Yeah, now I'm motivated. You know, you'll start to realize that that's what really completes your soul. That's what really keeps you healthy. Now, here's the definition of spiritual disciplines, because the Bible says we should go into strict training. It's the commands and practices a disciple show in their life to grow spiritually because they know God. Now, we've Listed out 12 disciplines. We're on number six. Let's go over the review. All the lessons are online. Bible reading, family order, scripture memorization, soul journaling, prayer and worshiping. And then today we're on discipleship and Christ likeness. Next week we'll talk about Christian service, you know, putting God first and all that we do. And this is where I'm going to hit on your jobs, by the way. I'm going to talk about how to work as unto the Lord, whatever you're doing. Uh, then we'll talk about public evangelism after that, spiritual meditation. How many of you think that would be a fun one? You know we'll definitely practice that here. You don't need a yoga. You don't need to wear yoga pants or yoga mat for that. But you will really feel spiritually blessed. I'm telling you. Financial stewardship. I still want to see you in church for that. Amen. Pastor, going to talk about money. I don't want to come. I need to be all empty here. No, you better come listen to your pastor talk about money, because you can't trust the world out here in their system. Because the Bible says those who love money have all sorts of evil in their life. You can trust the pastor here today, because I can tell you I don't love money. I started this church not to get rich, but to make disciples. If you don't believe me, I'll tell you where I used to work, how much I used to got, I got paid, and the sacrifice I had to do to start this. It wasn't to get rich. It was to make disciples. And let me just tell you, disciple-making business is Jesus' business, and business is good. Business is good, man. We multiplying. Amen? But come out for that. It will bless you. It's really probably not going to be as, as uh, awkward as you think. It's going to be real interesting to look at Jesus talking about money. Because Jesus talked about money almost more than any other subject. And stewardship is a part of that. And we're actually uh, hearing that now in our offering time. And then Christian fellowship, you know, picking the right friends and understanding how to really uh, grow close to people as Christians so you can guard your heart and life. And then church involvement. You know, what does this play to the big picture that we can be successful here and out there. And the way my dad taught me as a businessman is he said, Joe, every time I put God's business first, he puts my business first. Every time I take care of God's house, he takes care of my house. And that's what I believe you'll be blessed for. You see it out here. Uh, you've seen this slide before. Kind of putting it all together, knowing, showing, and growing. How many know that Jesus is God and Savior? How many know that you were born again, you shared in his divine nature? How many believe you can do all that he commanded you to do? By that faith, those are the showing things. And how many want to grow in goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness? Come on, you want to do that? Amen? 
Amen. So let's look at what we were talking about last week. Last week we were talking about discipleship. Let's go for a little review. Look at your neighbor and say, review is for you. So this is a thing, thank you, this is a thing that we do as Christians for strict training. This is what we do out of strict training. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make churchgoers of all the nations. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples, thank you, of all the nations, baptizing them in the what? Name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. How many want to be a disciple? How many want to make disciples? That's what Jesus told us to do. Now, I gave you guys uh, the definition of discipleship, which is to be taught and trained to live like Jesus. It's pretty easy, right? That's not hard to understand. I'm going to be taught and trained to live like Jesus. Now, uh, last week I gave you 12 duties of discipleship. I added another two for 14. We're not going to go through them all, but I want you to see probably what I think is one of the most important parts to understanding discipleship is put no one before Jesus. And I didn't get to hit on this too much last week, so I want to start here and then go into Christ-likeness. So please go with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We're going to learn here today uh, in starting about discipleship, putting no one before God. Now I want to tell you that I believe in the phrase family first when it applies to everything that's not God. So family first above my job. Family first above my friendships. Family first above what I do in this city as a citizen. Family first. So I believe that, but I don't believe that family goes above God. Now I want to help you understand this if you think that's weird because you're thinking like, ah, I don't know why God would ask me to do that because wouldn't he want me to put my family before him? No, that would make no sense. Let me help you understand. Would you have a family without a God? Would you have common sense or your own well-being and soul without a God? Would you have a conscious mind without a God? Would you have anything without God? No, so now it starts with God, and then everything comes after that. So if we're going to say family first, let's just qualify what we mean. Family first, above my job, above my friendships, above my money, above others around me, I've got to put my family first. And the Bible is very clear about that, that if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. So there's a part in the Bible where there's, it's, it's similar to our culture now, where there was a lot of people that... Uh, their family would die and they were left like as orphans or their mom would would die and they would be left parentless or their father would leave and the bible says that those who are relatives to those individuals need to take care of these children take care of these families like in that time uh, it would be hard maybe for a woman to work if she lost her husband a widow and the bible says that true religion this is the book of james it says is to take care of orphans and widows and then in another place it says, if we don't take care of our family and those who are in those positions, we're worse than infidels. Now, this doesn't mean we just give hand out. It means we give hand up. The Bible is not a socialistic Bible. The Bible is very capitalistic. Just read the parables of Jesus. He judges them according to free market principles and how well they work. But that doesn't mean we don't have charity. The Christian person is the most charitable person on the planet. Fact fact like let me just give you one little little like, thing to think about right now which is blessing me just looking at my facebook I, I facebook feeds i have so many friends right now in churches doing school supplies giveaways one of my church uh, friends church in um ormond beach just gave away school supplies to a thousand people 
5,000 people. Awesome, awesome. Um, Calvary Temple Church in uh, Ormond Beach. Pastor Rayleigh, if you want to look him up, great preacher. Uh, my friend and mentor, Brother Anthony Freeman in New Orleans, just did two this past weekend. One with about 400 in attendance, another one with about 300 in attendance, 700. And he said if the weather would have cooperated, we might have had closer to 1,000 at both of our events. Then my friend in Slidell across the lake in New Orleans, Lake Pontchartrain, did about another 1,000 young person stu uh, supply giveaway. Now why am I saying all of that? Where is the atheist school supply giveaway? Have you, have you heard of one? You know those sassy people on Facebook that always talk about them rich preachers taking everybody's money and why do you go to that dumb church? Oh, did you see those people giving out school supplies this weekend? Do you see any of their organizations giving out school supplies? And if they do, it's some random group at some random time. The Christian church is the largest charitable group on the planet. But Amen. We applaud for what God does in us and through us. Amen. But remember, but remember this. It is because God has told us the principles of capitalism, taught us the principles that we can go out and achieve wealth through our hard work, and that then through that we could be generous to others. The moment we start seizing hardworking people's wealth for the sake of distribution, we've lost the heart of charity. And then what will happen is the person or the government that's in charge of seizing wealth will become the God will become the ruler over the people. So trust me, my friends, you don't want the rich to be made to give money to you. They don't owe you nothing. Listen to me. What you want is the same opportunity that the rich person have so that you can go out and get you some. Let then them give on their own. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Old Testament and how they did the things, and then read the New Testament and how they did it. And you'll see it was always from capitalism that they then had generosity. Now, why does that matter? And I'm saying all of this. It's because we have to know our priorities, and our priorities are God, family, and community. And if we don't put God first, we won't be good for our families, and then we won't be good for our communities. So listen to this verse, and now if you can see why I took some time to explain it, and I'll go into more depth. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, and children. Why isn't mother-in-law in there? No, I'm just kidding. Have kids. Brothers and sisters, yes, even their own lives, such a person cannot be my disciple. Oh, wow. Mind blown, right? Some of you are like, whoa, shocking. Others of you have heard this, but I got to say this for everybody here today. What is so shocking about this is that we don't know Jesus' heart. Because Jesus' heart is a heart of salvation for us. And what he is saying is, if you love your family more than me, then you'll go to hell, and your family never gets to hear the gospel because you are the one supposed to give it, and now they'll go to hell. So the best thing you can do for your family is hate them trying to take my place in your heart. And the I got one amen. Thank you, amen corner. Praise God. He is my Ed McMahon today. Praise the Lord. If anybody remembers the Johnny Carson show, Ed always had Johnny's back. Now listen to this. We want to sometimes soften the blow of hate and make it something that it's not. This is offensive to those who don't love God, and there's nothing I can do about that. 
Because if you think that God owes you something, that now he should understand that, you know, you're married, you have kids, and really church shouldn't take all of that, and Jesus shouldn't expect all of that, you don't understand the Bible. Take a step back and understand the world and your life from God's perspective. Eternally is what I'm saying, from beginning to end, because that's God, Alpha and Omega. Think about this. When God looks at you, does he just see your 70 years? No, he sees the eternity that comes afterward. So when he's teaching you these principles, he's not just looking at what's going to make your life the easiest, the funnest, the most exciting here, though I believe in abundant life, but he's preparing you for an eternal life. And what so many Christians do is put other things before God, and Jesus is using this example of the most noble. The most noble example, if someone was to say, i got to put something before God, it wouldn't be my part-time lover or my booty call. It would be my wife, children, brothers, sisters, mom, dad, right? I mean, if you were going to try to make an argument to God to go, God, uh, there's got to be something that every now and then comes before you. There's got to be something that if you're wanting me to do this, I can pull this card and go, trump card, here it is, mom said I don't have to. Right? There's, there's got to be a card that I can pull, God, that every now and then just puts you back in your place. So if you're asking me to give all this and do all this, there, there's got to be a way out. Like, nope, don't got to do it. Father said, I don't have to. Wife said, I don't have to. Children said, they don't want to. Brother said, I won't love you anymore. Right? Can, can I just pull this card out? And God's going, there ain't no card in your deck that can ever trump my will for your life. If you want to follow me, you lay down your cards. You lay down even your life. So this is why I say nobody can truly love their neighbor as themselves until they first hate themselves as a sinner and deny themselves because everything else is a false kind of love. You see, the reason why when I first became a Christian, when I, I was delivering pizzas around that same time, and literally it was like overnight, I'm rocked by God's love, I'm changed, and now I start going out into the world acting different. And it just comes natural because really my heart's been changed. My, my mindset had been changed. I didn't have it all together, still would cuss every now and then, still would smoke every now and then, you know, just was, had a perverted heart every now and then. But I knew on the inside an identification had changed. And I, and I was trying to learn my identity. We're actually going to talk about that today because the more you know about who God's made you to be is the more you can do what God's made you to do. So watch this. I'm out delivering pizzas, and now as they, you know, they give me the money for the, the pizza, I want to say, you know, God bless you. God bless you. Have a great day. And I'm like thinking to myself, the only people that I've ever heard say God bless you are like my grandparents. And they would say it in Polish all the time, like spanem bogum, spanem bogum. You want to learn some Polish? Let's say God bless you in Polish. Spanem bogum. There you go. I taught you guys something. Now you guys are always teaching me so much. Now I taught you so much or something, a little bit. Spawn and bogan. It's like, God bless you, Joey. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, God bless you. That, 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 that's the only time I really heard it. It wasn't like my, my friends, like after we got high, man, God bless you, dude. Man, God bless you. No, man, well, I never heard that. I never heard any of my friends talk about, you know, like at the bar, God bless you, man. Never, never, okay? But all of a sudden, I wanted to say, God bless you. And I remember one time I was preaching to some skateboarders, and I was like, 
man, I'm just out here because I love you, you know, and I care about you. And they're like, man, you don't love me. You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. And, and I had to think about that because I'm like, you are kind of right. I actually want to beat you up right now. Uh, I don't know you that much. The more I'm getting to know you makes me, makes me angry. But I had to search my heart, and I had to be like, why is there something inside of me that wants to love them? Well, you know why that was? Is because Jesus had loved me. He had loved a sinner like me. And the more I began to understand how much he loved me every day I was praying and speaking with him, is the more I could love you. And I couldn't do that unless I hated my life without him. I'm not talking about like cutting yourself a suicidal mentality, but listen to it again. Anyone who comes to me does not hate father, mother, wife, children. I'm not talking about being rebellious, disrespecting, you know, abusive, brother or sister. No, we're not talking about that. Yes, even their own life. Such a person can't be my disciple. He, he's not saying that I want you to hate it in an evil way. He's, he's saying I want you to understand these things can't save you, not even your own life. And so when we look at discipleship, I know last week we went over a lot. I just want you to hear that today as we get to Christ-likeness because we talked all about this last week. But I really want you to hear what I think a lot of you are struggling with. If I could just have a pastor moment with you, like if I could set down the mic and just sit down with each one of you individually, what I would say is this. What you hate most about your life, the sin, the discouragement, the pain, God wants you to turn away from. And the things you want most in life, love, companionship, identity, all of these things, that's what he wants to give you. But if you keep loving what he hates and hating what he loves, you're going in opposite directions of God. you got to start hating what God hates. you got to hate that laziness that keeps you away from him. You've got to hate that sin that keeps bringing condemnation. You've got to begin to hate that temptation that tells you you can't do what God says you can do. And you need to start to love every precious thing that God says to you. You need to start to love and believe that you are the apple of his eye, that he has placed you in his hands and no one can take you out of it, that he is your shepherd and he's leading and guiding you. Start loving what he loves and hating what he hates, and you'll see a divine exchange come, your life for his your ways for his. And I also want to say this as an encouragement because there are many of you here that say, my, my family don't invite me to reunions anymore or uh, Fourth of Julys anymore because of what I've said about Jesus. And they don't like that I've come here. Even some of our young people who were raised maybe Roman Catholic and now they're telling their parents, I'm born again. You know, I, I got baptized again. And, and maybe they didn't even want to come support them. I hear this sometimes. And, and it, it becomes like a persecution. You know, some here have even suffered persecution from their very own family. I want to encourage you. God is using you to be a witness to them. And because you've put God first, they are now getting the clearest testimony, the most visible uh, person in their life that they can trust to know that God has changed them. And you are being used as a light. And let me just tell you this. At the end of the day, they'll be thankful you did that. Because on Judgment Day, they'll be so thankful that you brought Jesus to them. And if you'd even... Even if they don't get saved, they'll have no excuse because they'll be able to say, you told me. You told me. You prayed for me. You showed me what Jesus looked like. Can I get an amen for that? 
Amen. Well, let's go to Christ-likeness now. If you want more on discipleship, go back to last week's uh, message. Here, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Cohen there, uh, turn there with me, please. This is another letter of Paul talking to a group of people living in the city of Ephesus. He says some very key things to him, uh, to them living there, that I think we need to understand today. Ephesians 4, 22. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Do you all still use your Bible in church? You're just getting used to this. Okay, some of you all still need to get used to uh, bringing your Bible because you can take notes and, and know how to find it when I'm not here with you. But if you got to look up there, I'm totally cool with it. That's why it's there. How many know how to work the Word, though? How many know if you were on your job tomorrow, you could find this? Okay, good. I just want to make sure you work in that Word. Look at this from Paul. You were taught. Somebody say, I was taught. See, he's already referencing in this letter to things he had mentioned before. And I know I can say this to MPI Church. You have heard this before. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Everybody say, be made new in your attitude. Thank you. And to put on the new self, created to be like Oprah Winfrey, created to be half sinner and half saint. What is, what is the thing that's half a person and half animal? That Centaur. Did God say he created you to be a centaur? Let me just put that up. Can I put this up? Let me put up. How would you spell centaur? Okay, here's my best guess. If, no, I misspelled it. If anything bad comes up, C-E-N. I put a Y there, C-E-N-T-A-R. Okay, I found it this way. Okay, is this what God, thank you those for helping me. Some of these are, I don't know how they make a sexy sand, a centaur, but some of these are inappropriate for right now. Okay, let me find this dude right here. Here we go. This guy, this guy was like on a show or some kind. Oh, Narnia, thank you. That's right. How many like, um. Uh, Lion, witch in the wardrobe. He's one of the good guys. Okay. Did God make you like this? Half man, half beast. Half sinner, half saint. Here's the good news. You get to be born again. Well, I'm a sinner. Okay, so what do I get to be now, Jesus? Well, you're still going to be kind of a sinner, but then now you, the good news is you'll be partly a saint. Is that what Jesus says? Here's the good news. You're, you're going to be born a centaur. No. This is not what you're born as. But now I know some of us feel that way, right? Let's be honest. Some of us sometimes feel like a centaur, you know, and, and, and that's part of the problem is because we're letting our feelings dictate our identity. Don't let your feelings dictate your identity. Don't let your circumstances dictate who you are. Right now, come on, somebody. You've seen the, the show uh, Boss, Undercover Boss. Right now, you could take a billionaire, put him in everyday clothes, put him in McDonald's. That doesn't change him from not being a billionaire anymore. Hello. You could have this man be persecuted and brought to some foreign land where they don't respect him for whatever reason, and they slap him and beat him. That doesn't take away his wealth and his value. As Christians, just because the devil lies to you and tries to tell you who he thinks you are, that doesn't change who you actually are. I think a lot of you are having identity crises because you don't know who you really are in Christ. And then what happens is you start thinking that Jesus didn't do enough at salvation. But the problem is you don't believe in what real salvation is. Real salvation is not a good works treadmill where at the end you can say, I've lost 300 calories of sin. And then God says, great, because you've got 6,000 more calories to go today. 
And then next day, he says, you've got 6,000. You know, the, the salvation of the Bible is not a good works treadmill. You start at the finish line. You start with the crown on your head. You start with Jesus saying, it is finished. Your first day in Christianity starts where Jesus finished all the work. Are you hearing me today? When Jesus was on the cross, did he say, Father, I did my part, now let them do their part. <sighs> Is that what he said? He said, Father, I've died for their sins, now they've got to work the rest of their life to try not to sin. <sighs> no. The last words that Jesus said to us, it is finished. What is finished? The entire design of my new self. It's done. <laughs> last bit of dust blown off, presented to the Father for humanity. Are you listening to me? Last little polish done. Done. Finished. Brand new life. Created to be like God. You were taught, taught with your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to put on the new man, to be made new in your minds, the attitudes of your mind, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's stop right here. Have you been made righteous and holy like God? Just simple, have you? If you haven't, this is why you need to be born again and be made a new person. This is why you can't put things before God, because your mama can't make you like this. Your daddy can't make you like this. As much as, bro, I, love, I know you love the trainer at the gym, man, they can't make you like this. You cannot be made like this with human hands, ideas, education, money. Nothing can create in you a new self that's truly like God in righteousness and holiness. Only God can do it. So what is the definition of Christ's likeness? It's to reflect the image of God in your daily life. Since I am made like God, I should reflect God everywhere I go. Because I have been created new in righteousness and holiness, my attitude should be righteous and holy. My words should be righteous and holy. The way I treat my wife should be righteous and holy. Now, all the time when I say these things, people say right back to me, well, Pastor, have you thin sense being a Christian? Yes, I have. But that didn't change my identity. That just showed that I had made a mistake in false belief, and I need to repent and change my stinking thinking, be forgiven, and rise back up to continue walking on that path of righteousness. If being born again is like coming into a new family, then we can relate it to my children. When my children came into our family, they did nothing to create themselves, nothing to choose the family that they were brought into. They were brought into the family of the Wyrostic by our choice, by our will, by our decision, by their nature. Now they are Wyrostic. Only by them choosing to go out of our family, disown us, would they lose what I have given them. And so, yes, sadly, can somebody disown God after being saved? Can they return, as the Bible says, as a pig back to the, the, the mud? Yes. As a dog back to vomit? Yes, they can do that. Sadly, they can. But true salvation should win your heart over to the point where you say, I don't ever want to go. I don't ever want to go where that prodigal son went. 
Because the moment he left the father's house, it didn't matter how much money he had. His life became a wreck. It, all, it, it didn't matter all the friends that he had because they all left him at some point. And so I don't need to learn that prodigal son lesson anymore. I'm in the father's house, and thank you very much. This is where I want to stay. How many want to stay in the father's house? Amen. How many don't need to take to take another journey to the strip club? You free from that, right? How many don't need to date another non-Christian? Come on, ladies. How many you've done that enough? How many here don't need to waste your money on getting drunk and going to the club and to look for that kind of hot? How many are done with that? How many are done with wasting your life and energy on things that never bring back what they promise? So let's reflect Jesus in our life. Let's do what God said we can do. Here are two concepts that I want you to really think about that I, I know I've talked about this a lot, but I was trying to bring it new here in a different way, just, you know, hoping that we would get something different out of this. So here's two concepts that I want you to think about when it comes to reflecting Jesus being Christ-like. Because we're called to be his disciples, born again, and to live like him. The first verse is in 1 John 4, 17. You can just look at the screen. It says, this is how we know love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is how the Christian can truly be confident that when they go to be judged, that it's going to go well with them because they look at their life now and they go, yeah, this is like Jesus. Isn't that the opposite of what people are telling you to do? Most people are telling you to be like, look at me. Nobody's perfect. Don't I set a great example of nobody being perfect? Does that give you confidence on Judgment Day or facing Judgment Day? Does that kind of mindset really help encourage you today? Is that the mindset parents you want to use with your children? So children, listen, every now and then I'll cuss and swear, beat you about an inch of your life to the end of your life. And, uh, you know, I'll steal from my job by coming home when I'm supposed to be working. And uh, I'll lie on my taxes so I can get more money. And I'll set the example before you children about not to come to church when you're tired, not to come to church when you don't feel like it, not to come to church when it rains, not to come to church when, when it snows. I'll set that example for you because that's how I want you to be in school tomorrow. Because when you feel like not doing your work, I want you to tell your teacher nobody's perfect. And when somebody else cusses, I want you to cuss because nobody else is perfect. And when somebody starts to tempt you to steal, I want you to think it's okay because nobody else is perfect. Do you want your children, parents, to live by the same false idea of nobody's perfect? No, so shouldn't we as parents set the first example? Shouldn't I set the first example as a pastor as well and elders here in this church? So what is the attitude we're supposed to have? What is the confidence we're supposed to have? We're supposed to know that love is made complete among us because in this world we're like Jesus. Sadly, many of you are not confident that you're like Jesus. Why is that? Because you're looking to yourself. You're looking to your abilities. You're saying, I'm not good at Christian living. I'm not good at making time to pray. I'm not good at saying no to temptation. I'm not confident that I'm really like Jesus. The reason is, is because instead of denying yourself, you are exalting and worshiping yourself. Think about that. See, the person who can say today, in this world, I'm like Jesus and I'm confident about that, the person who can do that is the one who truly knows the love of God. Oh, God loved me so much that he sent his only son to die for all of my wickedness and evil and all of my can'ts and all of my woulda, coulda, shouldas and all my failures so that if I would believe in him, I would have eternal life and shall not perish. I believe that today. I believe that beyond my mistakes. I believe that beyond what people say about me on Facebook. 
That path that don't love me. That path that don't care about me. I don't care what you think. Because I do love you, you little sassy pants on Facebook as I block you. I do love you. <laughs> Amen. I love you so much I'm going to block you so I don't have to think about all that nonsense no more. You know, people always know our vision is loving God and loving people. And they love to throw that back at us. We had a, a building that was on the second story in Irving Park, and we would jam out the worship like we did now. Never thought about the condos that were across the street because we had windows all around our building. And somehow the sound traveled directly through our windows into the condo across the street into an atheist lawyer's condo. So when he sent his complaint, not only did he have all of his mockery and his sassiness, but he had named all the laws that we were breaking with our sound violation and put his little Esquire signature at the bottom in the law firm he worked for. But I want to tell you the one that the thing that he said the most that just dug the deepest in my heart was, and you're supposed to love people. You say you love people. You know, someone has left a review on our Facebook or, uh, or our Google um, map, you know, left a review. They, they don't welcome homosexuals, which is a lie. We do. We don't check you at the door for your gender, okay? You can come in however you think about sexuality. We never do that. We love everybody, amen? But I guess they had called because we were new in the neighborhood and really wanted to test us and see, do you accept homosexuals as your members? Well, that's a different thing. If you are a practicing homosexual, just like a practicing liar, a practicing murder, a practicing adulterer, you cannot be a member. You have to repent of all sin and live holy before God. Amen? Oh, but you say you love people. You're supposed to love everybody. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. Now listen to me. The world has a wrong definition of judgment. I am not your judge sending you to hell. I am your newspaper boy telling you what judgment day is going to be like. Did you hear that? I'm not your judge sending you to hell because, trust me, that's a lot scarier than facing me. You can tell this to your friends at work. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you the word of God. The word of God judges you and Jesus will. But I want you to think about this. How much do you know God loves you? How much? I ask my children this all the time. It's a little fun game that we play. How much does Daddy love you, Zoe? You know, she's our, our youngest right now. She just turned two. How much does Daddy love you? She goes, Toso, th spreads out her arm, Toso. And you see, that's how God is speaking to us. How much do you think I love you? How much do you think I love you? How much do you think I love you? You're supposed to answer back, go, this much, God, more than the whole world. Enough to send your only son. I'm confident in that. Now, if you're confident in the love of God, are you confident in what he said? Because this is what he said about you. Father said this about you. You're just like my son. You're just like Jesus. When I made you that day that you called on my name, that you asked to be saved from your wickedness and your sins, I made you just like him. I formed in you a new person. Like him. Not like the first Adam, the Bible says, but like the second Adam. That was a title that Jesus went by because there's only been two people born into this world perfect without sin. The first Adam made of dust. The second Adam, Jesus, born of a virgin. The first Adam traded in his inheritance of perfection for sin and brought destruction to the world. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, traded all of the pleasures of the world for the glory of God and his will. He said, devil, I don't want all these kingdoms. I want souls. I don't want angels to take care of me. I want to die so sons and daughters can enter into my kingdom. He didn't come to be served. He said, I came to serve. 
So when we're talking about reflecting the image of Jesus, we're talking about walking around Christ like like Christ. I'm not asking you to look at the log of your good works like, yeah, I did this good work today. I did this spiritual discipline. I did, yeah, I'm just like Jesus. No, I want you to look at your heart and see how much he loves you. I want you to be confident in the love of God because love will do more in your heart for obedience than you trying to please someone that you don't think loves you. My children obey me so much easier, so much easier with a flow of just habit when they know how much I love them and when they know that I just want the best for them. If you think everything in the Bible is God just wanting you to do it because he doesn't like you, then you're not going to want to be like that person. You're not going to want to be like God because God to you is kind of like that boss that always is looking for a way to fire you or cut back your hours or take out, you know, uh, take, take out your position and give it to somebody else or whatever. But if you're always looking at God as a father and he says, I'm asking you to do this because Jesus would do this. I'm asking you to do this because I love you. I- I'm asking you to shut down some of these things you're doing on the Internet because I love you. I want you to spend time with me in prayer and, and get to hear my voice because I what? What does he say? I love you. Look at this other one right here. Psalms 86, 15. But you, Lord, are what? Compassionate and gracious, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Vinny, would you come to the keys, please? But, Lord, you are what? Compassionate and Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and when was the last time you thought on those things? Oh, God, you're so compassionate. God, you're so gracious that you would spend time with me. I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, spiritual disciplines were not on my mind. I don't know about you, but that wasn't on my mind. I'm going to read my Bible, pray, go to church, I'm going to be a robot for Jesus. You know what struck me that day at my mother's kitchen table when I became a Christian? Watch this. Is how gracious he was. How forgiving he was. When you think of compassion, you think of someone that you know is guilty, you know they're not deserving of it, but you're doing something nice for them anyway. I was just talking to Sarupa about helping homeless people. And I know some people may be in a position they didn't deserve, you know, whatever. But a lot of the homeless people I know were like me. They did bad things, made bad decisions. I lived in my car for a while. But when you're compassionate and you're like, man, can I help you? Can I get you something to eat? Can I bring you to this program? That's showing your character, not approval of their behavior. God is compassionate, not because we deserve it, but because he's that loving. You deserve wrath. I deserve wrath. But Jesus steps in between the wrath of the Father and what we deserve and says, compassion, compassion, take it out on me. Grace, place their sins on me. Slow to anger. So often we think that God is just like I said before, just one inch away from us being kicked into hell. And that's why we don't enjoy the spiritual disciplines. That's why we don't enjoy reading the Bible. Because we feel like if we miss it one time, it's like, well, he doesn't love me anyway. Why even try? You know, I'm not going to 
get anything done now anyway. Why even try? You know, God's not going to look at me and be happy about this anyway. Why even try? But we don't understand. God's the opposite of that. Think of the most patient person you know, like my dad, married to my Italian mom, most patient man I know. I know that's weird for some of you. I know I'm picking on my mom, but listen to me. Among Italians, what most people call yelling, we call talking. And my mom got worked up so many times with my dad, and I would just see him be patient, be patient. I want to tell you something. I will get worked up with my dad, too, and he would be patient and patient. I want to tell you something today. Think of the most patient, patient, most patient person you know. Jesus is more patient than that. He's more slow to anger than that. Sometimes I'm with my kids at the table, and they'll spill something, and they'll just look at me. Because what, what, what are they thinking? I'm in trouble now. I'm in trouble now. And we have purposely taught our children, you're not in trouble. When these things happen, you're not in trouble. Don't be embarrassed. I love you. In the middle of a restaurant, it's okay. We'll pick this up. Okay, we need a waiter here, please. You know, I got four kids. Stuff spills, gets knocked over all the time. It's okay. Nobody, you didn't mean to do it. You didn't. Slow the anger. Father, who, who said these words? Who said these words? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing on Belmont and Clark. Father, forgive them. These wicked politicians, they know not what they do. These gangbangers know not what they do. These cheating husbands and wives, rebellious young people, they know not what they do. Those of other religions, they know not what they do, Father. Hold back your judgment. Hold it back, Father. Hold it back one more day. I'm not wanting or wanting or wishing or willing for any to perish one more day. And he's abounding in love. I remember when I first got saved, I thought the greatest attribute of being a Christian was having everybody hate me because I told them the truth all the time. The more you hate me must mean the more I'm like Jesus then. Because I told you you were going to hell. Now that is true. The Bible says they will hate you because they hated me first. They will persecute you. But listen, this is not because of our anger towards them. This is not because we want them to go to hell. If they persecute us, if they're angry with us, if they tell us that we are fools for believing in God, let them persecute us with tears coming down our eyes as we weep for their souls. As Jesus, listen to me, as Jesus wept over Jerusalem before he was crucified. Abounding in love. You're saying, Pastor, what does this have to do with Christ-likeness? Everything. Everything. You see, some things are more caught than they are taught. I don't give you four points in a poem to get this. You have to know this. You have to know compassion in your soul. You have to know grace in your soul today. You have to know the patience of God when you didn't deserve it. You have to know how much he loves you and how it abounds over and over and over into your life and how, lastly, he is so faithful. You want to be Christ-like? Be confident in his faithfulness. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to say on Mondays after Sunday, I'm done. 
I can't pastor no more. I'm not good enough. They're not changing fast enough. We're not growing fast enough. It's my fault, God. It's my fault. I'm not a good enough pastor. I'm not a good enough preacher. I'm done, God. I'm done, God. This is it, God. Okay, what, what else can I do, God? Maybe I'll work for somebody else. Maybe I'll do it somewhere else again, God. And God just says, come on, son. Don't give up. I haven't given up on them yet. I haven't given up on them. Come with me. I know they tell you they're going to be there on Sunday and they don't show up, but they're doing that to me, son. Come on back to the family business, son. Don't you walk out that door. You stand here with me, son, and you live the life I lived. I didn't give up on them. I didn't give up on them when they lied to me, when they yelled at me, when they persecuted me, when they made promises they didn't keep. Come back. And when I come back to Jesus and I stand in this pulpit and I feel his love for you, how faithful he is. And I think about how faithful he's been to me when I've been so forgetful of his blessings. I just want to live like him. I want to stand up here one more day and speak his word because I know it won't return void because he's faithful even when we're forgetful. You want to be like Jesus? You've got to know Jesus. You've got to start with his love and then you experience his compassion and his grace, his patience, his faithfulness. And as you do that, what you're going to see is that God is really not like the you you used to be. Because so many of us come into Christianity and we are saved and we know that God is awesome, but we immediately form God into the opinion of how we form ourselves. And we think that God is just a little bit better than me. God's like me and just a little bit better than me. And we don't understand how great he is. And then... Some religious people want to come tell you that because he's so much better than you, so much greater than you, so much higher than you, so much more loving than you, that you can never be like that, and that's spiritual to admit that. But it's exactly the opposite. We should come to Jesus saying, man, you're so not like me, but I'm honored that I get to be like you. Jesus, you would have handled that situation so different than me. Help me to do that next time, because... You've made me to be like you. Write down a couple of these little things that help me. Maybe they'll help you. When you believe Christ made you sinless, you'll sin less. When you believe that. When you believe that God is love, you'll act in love. When you believe that you're made holy, you'll live holy. When you believe that God is forgiving, you'll forgive. When you believe that God is slow to anger, you'll be patient. How you believe about God is seen by how you live now. It is related. It's not working to earn his identity in your life, but I can tell how much you believe you're made in his image by how you forgive. I can tell you know about God by how much you love your enemy. I can tell how much you love and understand God by how patient you are. You should be able to do the same with me. In closing, salvation is not progressive, saints. 
Don't let all the false religions of the world trick you or even some preachers who don't know their theology. When you started off and God came into your life, he didn't say, boop, boop, boop. Now you're 10% saved. Get on the spiritual disciplines treadmill and work it, work it, work it to get to 20%. And then maybe if you're saved for four or five years, you get to 30%. And then you'll get to 40%. And then one day when you're 70 years old, sonny, I'm 90% saved. Just about ready to meet dear old Jesus. Because many people believe this air, second flesh, chapter 2, verse 11, not a real Bible verse. This is what they say, God's still working on me, and one day I'll be who he wants me to be. Because nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And that's their excuse going through life. God's just still working on me. I thought the Bible says that uh, whoever believes in Jesus Christ is saved, past tense, created, past tense, in Christ Jesus to be a new creation, a workmanship of God, created to do good works. I thought that all happened. I thought when Jesus said it is finished, that meant bang, it was done and downloaded, waiting for me to receive. Here's the Bible, therefore, if anyone, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, is in Christ, the new creation is still coming, and one day you'll get it in heaven, folks. Is that what it says? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has. Where is the new creation? Point to where the new creation is. The new creation has come. The old has what? It's still sticking around. Is that what it says? Get out of here. It's gone. And the new is here. Do you believe this? Before we stand up and shout, because I got some exciting things to pray over this congregation, because I don't want you leaving out here the same way you came. But before we do, would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and an attitude of prayer as the band and worship team comes and the altar workers come, would you do me a favor and just ask yourself this question? How much do I believe in the love of God for me? Right now, come on. How much do I believe in the love of God for me? Because it doesn't matter how many times I say it. If you don't believe it, you will never live like Jesus. You will never believe the new creation has come if you keep thinking less of God's love than what the Bible teaches. Those of you who are meditating on God's love, maybe some good questions to ask yourself would be, do I believe that his love abounds for me beyond all of my sin, all of my imperfections? In other words, my old life is gone because his love has swallowed it up in grace. His love has swallowed it up in compassion. Just a few more moments. Do you... Have confidence in the love of God. And do you stand complete knowing that in this world you are like him. You are like him. You know it because you're confident in his love. You're not looking for it. You're not trying to earn it. You're not hoping one day to have it. You've received it from a God who died on the cross for you and said, it's finished. Your trying is over. 
Your days of saving yourself are over. Your days of self-renovation are over. Your days of trying to pick up the pieces and glue them back together are over. Your days of trying to fix your past are over. Your day of trying to fix your broken attitude is over. Your day of trying to make yourself happy are over. Your day of trying to hold it together for your family are over. There is a God who cares for you. It makes everything new. few more moments. How real is the love of God to your heart right now? How real is the love of God to your heart right now? If you're in this place right now and you can say with an honest heart, you can say, I can feel the love of God. The love of God has been shut abroad in my heart. I feel Him in this place right now. Would you stand up? Those of you who aren't ready to stand up, stay seated and keep praying. We're not in a hurry. But I want to know, is there anybody just ready to worship right now? You're about ready to break forth a song in your spirit right now because the love of God is abounding in your soul right now. You can feel His presence. You can feel His grace. You can feel His love. You can hear the voice of the Father through the Son speaking by the Spirit. You are adopted. You are mine. You belong to me. Hallelujah. Would you, those of you right now who are standing, worship, worship, Abba, Father, worship, Daddy. Come on, worship, 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 break through, break through, break through, worship, come on, Jesus, Jesus, tell them in your own words, we love you, God, we love you, God, we love you, we love you. Gracias, Señor. Gracias, Señor. Come on. Come on. Worship. Don't worship for a pastor. Don't worship for your neighbor. Worship for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the bright and morning star, Jesus. you put your hand over your belly say rivers of living water flow through me now rivers of grace rivers of healing flow through my soul wash me cleanse me with your love Jesus Rivers, rivers, rivers. Wash my soul, wash my soul, Lord, with your love. Till I thirst no more, till I hunger no more. I worship you, I worship you. Jesus, just a few more moments, a few more moments. Your worship, your worship changes the atmosphere. Jesus. 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 
Jesus. Heaven has never been more closer to you than right now. Heaven has never been closer to you right now. Receive it. Receive the touch of God. Jesus is here. Jesus is near. Oh, let the love of God permeate your soul. Jesus. Oh, God. Jesus. 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 The best dad in the whole world, in the whole world. Oh, we have the best dad in the whole world, in the whole world. Yes, we have the best dad in the whole world, in the whole world. Oh, we best dad in the whole world one more time yes we in the whole world in the whole world oh, oh, we have the best dad in the whole world in the whole world oh we have the best dad in the whole world in the whole world the best dad in the whole world, in the whole world. Say we have the best dad in the whole world, in the whole world. Oh, we have the best dad in the whole world. Oh, church, lift your voice. We, we have the best dad yeah. in the whole world. for our Father in heaven today. Hallow his name. Come on, put your hands together and praise him one more time. Oh, praise God. Oh, I don't know about you, but I know I have the best dad in the whole world. Woo! I don't know about you, but I believe that today. Oh, before we get started with round two, I just want to make sure you hear us before you leave today. Christ-likeness is not another religion. It's not another to-do. It's not another book. It's who God made you to be because of his love. And if you doubt that, that's okay. We have all have. 
But it's not that you're doubting a black and white book we call the Bible. It's not that you're doubting the resurrection and historical narrative of the Gospels. Few and I ever find ourselves doubting this. It's because we doubt the love. And so may our hearts be burning with his love day and night. We're going to close out singing this song, Oh, How He Loves Us. And if you have to go, we dismiss you to enjoy this beautiful day with your Heavenly Father. But if you need prayer for anything, let us pray for you. Why? Because your Heavenly Father loves to answer prayers. And if today you just want to hang out and worship, that's awesome. We'll have an after party. Amen. I got Desiree right back here singing her heart out. And when I was hearing you just singing in tongues and going after God, that touched me even more because I know God has been so good to you. And you are his daughter. He cherishes you. I remember your testimony you just put up a few weeks ago. If you haven't seen it, go to her Facebook. It shows a before and after. Would you pray just that we'll all get that in our heart today of who our God is and then that we'll have a good day, good week. Amen. Thank you. dismissed. Have a great week. Hang out for the after party. We'll see you at Life Groups. If you need prayer, come on up. Worship with us. Otherwise, you may fellowship. Enjoy the refreshments. Jesus. But if you just want to worship, hang out with us for a little bit.
Did you know that he's jealous for you? like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy yes Lord pour out your love today pour out your love God
falling in love with you. Would you put up those words? Let's sing it out. And I'm falling in love. And I'm falling in love, love with you. I'm falling in love with you. Just a few more times, your heart back to God, and I'm falling in love, love with you. Yes, I'm falling in love with you. One more time, come on, and I'm As we keep playing this melody, I want to turn loose Desiree to sing prophetically whatever God puts in her heart. And then, come on, whatever you guys feel, then after that we'll go a little bit longer. But you go first, Desiree, whatever God says to you. Change it up if you need to. But let's hear the sound of heaven. with that come on there is none like you yes come on Jesus help her sing it guys come on
slow to anger, abounding in compassion and mercy. Full of love, full of mercy, full of grace. Always in love with us. Always in love with us. One more time. Come on. There is no one. There is no one like our God. Just in this attitude of worship, I sense that there may be a few words that God may have put on somebody's heart here to share for the rest of us in this after party. If you have a word, just shout it out or you can come to the mic. God is moving. I sense even many of our leaders are falling in love with God again, like as if it was for the first time going deeper.
born into a world as orphans, separated from our God, strangers in a foreign land, knowing only darkness and pain, neglect and rejection. Our God transcended matter, space, and time, condescended and lowered himself to become like us. He lived a sinless life so that he could show us how. He was beaten, rejected for our sins and sorrows. And for our sins, he was laid upon a cross, crucified as a criminal for us. And for the first time in the known history of the triune Godhead, the Son was separated from the Father at three in the afternoon as the sky turned darkest midnight. He cried out, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? So that he could know the feeling of rejection, the feeling of shame, the feeling of aloneness, the feeling of abandonment, so that our God might know what it feels like to be separated from his Father. So that he could relate to us as sinners. And there on that cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As he breathed his last breath and said it is finished, he committed his spirit into the living God. Went down to the depths of the grave. Defeated to hell. Defeated Gehenna defeated the devil took death hell in the grave by its throat crushed its skull rose from the dead on the third day in the image in the likeness of God in the flesh walked among men then gave us his parting words to be filled with the spirit of his father so that we may be sent forth to be his witnesses so that we who, who once were lost, once were orphaned, once rejected, can now have the acceptance of the Father, the indwelling of the God of all the universe, so that we in this jar of clay might have the precious gift of heaven becoming the very temples of God, and that we might spread forth this message to the ends of the earth, making disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that He commanded, knowing that surely He will be with us until the very end of the age, that He'll never leave or forsake us. Just a few more times, sing it out. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is coming again on a horse to judge the nations. Yes, he will establish his kingdom without end. In his kingdom there will be no sun because he shines brighter than the sun.
know there's a second service, God, but we only want to stop this one when you say it's over. We only want to stop this one when you say it's over, God. Hungry hearts, God, will be filled. Hungry hearts will be filled. Hungry hearts will be filled, God. We're so hungry and thirsty for you today, God. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What you do is good. What you do is good, God. What you make is good, God. done here is good, God. What you've done here, God, is amazing. You've shown yourself again, God, to be strong and mighty. Oh, you're never too far not to hear our cries.